Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and your captain of cider. The Sergeant of Cider, the salut- Salutatorian of Cider today. Uh, super excited. Uh, I've got Marcus Robert, who is the cider maker for um, one of the really cool and deliciously high-quality products producers, Titan Cider Works here in Washington State. It is October, so we're talking about harvest. We're talking about grapes and apples, of course, uh, wheat and barley for uh, the distilleries. Uh, and we just had Cider Week back in September. Um, if you don't if you haven't had a chance to visit Cider Week, the Big Tasting is a two-day event. Of course, they have cider events all month long uh, in September, and it's really fun because you get to meet the personalities, and there's a lot you don't know. We're not using, well, I'll wait, and uh, we'll have Marcus talk about it. Hey, Marcus, Robert, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Excited. Uh, you were a participant at uh, Cider Fest, right? Yeah, we were at the uh, Cider Summit. Um, which has been going on, I think now. Well, it's been a few years, seven years, eight years. Something this was like the that. ninth, ninth year. Ninth okay, year. We've, we've been to all of them. I just can't remember every one. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, and the weather was fantastic. What a beautiful day! Yeah, great weather. People had to put on their sunscreen. I think it was beautiful day. Nice weather. Great food there. A lot of vendors. I think there was over. 35, 40 uh, different cideries and over 70 different ciders there. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, international cider as well. We had some from France and England and, uh, of course, Spain. Uh, in Spain. Yeah. I miss those. The yeah. Basque ones are always very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, cider in Washington State, um, obviously, cider in the United States goes back hundreds of years. Let's talk about your history in this particular industry. How did you get, uh, are you a farmer? Well, I grew up as a farmer, so I, uh, and I still farm our family farm. We have a small farm out in the Yakima area. And uh, I got into winemaking about 20 years ago. I own a small winery in that valley, in the Yakima Valley there. Uh, my wife and I do. And, What's the winery? Uh, Let's plug it's, it. It's called Fontaine Estates. And ah. uh, we distributed maybe a decade ago uh, over in the Seattle area. And then we decided to kind of change our business model and we bring people to us now instead okay. of to bring our wine to people. So I like it. You can get our wine if you come to one of our events at the winery. In so, Yakima. In Yakima. All yeah. right. So you started making wine. Was this uh, a carboy um, hobby, or did you? Did that, someone need help with Crush? And you said, hey, I'll go do it. You know, it definitely started out as a carboy hobby, and then somebody, um, you know, my background is in science. I have a, I have a degree in biology, and, and – um, Started making wine during college, uh, helped out, <laughs> helped out. You know, a lot of the small growers or growers around the Yakima Valley, if they're if they're orchards, they have a small vineyard, they may have a couple acres, and they need somebody to do the enology portion of that. So oh. I helped out doing that before we started doing our own uh, our own our own winery. Did you know what to look for? Did you have to go to figure out what uh, a enologist would look for in particular uh, sample as far as? Uh, pH and acidity or TA and all that? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I uh, when I get into something like wine or anything, woodworking, whatever it is, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to uh, totally involve myself into it. So I found every book I could read on winemaking, it, I just got totally... Uh, 
engulfed in in understanding how wine's made and how good wine is made. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that little secret. There's a, there's a difference. There yeah. is a difference. Of course, there's natural fermentation. Something like yeah. Britannomyces might make a very unique uh, particular beverage. Yeah. Uh, well, very interesting. You're still making wines today. What was the first grape you made? You made Cabernet, or were you doing something like Merlot? Uh, our first wines that we made were actually Syrah, and that oh. came off of a vineyard. Uh, I've had a friend that was orchard. He had a couple acres of Syrah and Merlot, and he didn't want to make any wine. He had about an acre of Syrah, and he didn't want to make any wine out of it. So we got about four tons of grapes uh, one year, and and made some made actually made some great Syrah. It's up if you know Yakima, the Upper Valley. Um, there's uh, there's actually an AVA in the Upper Valley now. We're not quite part of that, but we're in a higher elevation. Is that Elephant Mountain? Uh, this would be close to like Natchez. Natchez. Oh, yeah, Natchez. I got yeah. some grapes in there from Strand Vineyard from Phil Klein, who just had a birthday a while back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know <laughs> Phil well. Uh, wonderful. Well, let's talk about apples. You were a farmer. What were you farming uh, in Yakima? Well, I, well, we still farm. I, I grow apples, uh, pears, and peaches now on our family farm, but we also... The, the farm that's uh, connected with um, Tyatz and Cider Works, we grow a lot of uh, bittersweet and bittersharp apples. And these apples are, just like wine grapes, are specific to making hard cider. Right. We're looking for acidity and um, not necessarily a lot of sugar because you want more flavor with this, this cider, right? Well, typically they do have a lot more, like you said, flavor, but they also have, uh, they typically are higher in sugar. Some can be higher in acid, but the difference really is a, a lot of these what we call bittersweet and bitter sharp apples. The bitter portion is tannin. The tannin. Just like wine grapes, just like... Gives you that drying sensation for the cider. Gives you that drying sensation, a little bit bigger mouthfeel um, to, to make bigger... Part of the structure. Yeah. Exactly. Acid, exactly. alcohol, flavor, and uh, tannin. Yeah. Really cool. So, now I'm curious. When we think about growing grapes, and I think we've most people have figured out that uh, grapes, there's a couple... Um, periods where windows of, of Mother Nature might hurt your grapes, whether yeah. it's a freeze early on when shoots are going, or it's a hard freeze during the winter, which might kill it all, or you get some hail, which might damage the flowers and sometimes the grapes. You get humidity and rain. What are some of the uh, challenges with growing apples, especially tarts and bittersweets? You know, a lot of the apples that have been grown for uh, the commercial market, and Washington State grows... 60% of all the fresh-eating apples in the U.S. It grows 70% of all the apples in the U.S., Washington State does, and that occurs within a 100-mile radius. But all those apples have been researched very well on the climate they can be grown in or the soils they should go into and ro- what rootstocks they should go on. The These bittersweet and bittersharp apples that we're growing are typically old-world apples. They don't have much research. There's a lot of you know, just hearsay on how you should grow them and where you should put them and and the climate <laughs> they should make it. yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot of it's a lot of just there's no research. So we we actually planted a test block about ten years ago uh, and tried to find out which ones grew well in our climate, and then from there we propagated about eight varieties or I think it's about eight varieties. Um, out of that test block, we planted about forty different varieties. Anything that we could get our hands on and get on, you know, a dozen different kinds of rootstocks and and see how they grow. You know, after that, um, we y- you still have issues because the trees are only five years old. You don't know how disease resistant they are, or or you know, we didn't get a cold snap. You know, in that five years where 
you know, it got down. It didn't get to, tough. Eh? It didn't really get tough in those five years. So we we did we did have some issues down the road, but we've kind of we've we're still figuring it out because it's no one else is growing these apples in any kind of quantity either. Well, for us too, and for the Eastern Washington, it's really an arid desert climate, a high desert, right? You get some yeah. constant, you get some continental influences, of course, and very yeah. little marine because that's what the Cascades do. They yeah. they stop the rain. Well, just like all the grapes that are grown in Washington State, most of them are grown on the east side of the state. And it's because we have such a great climate. There's great soils there, but there's also... You're meaning poor soils. More, <laughs> poor soils for grapes, great soils for, for soils apples. Fertile for apples, okay. Yeah, so usually down um, in, in certain areas, we have nice, deep, uh, sandy loam with a little bit of clay in it. That's great for growing apples. Now, if you can't grow apples, then you put... Then you put grapes on it. That's what they said. That's yeah. why grapes. I remember pulling yeah. apples out, and my friends were living Schland, yeah. et cetera. Look yeah. at that! Look at that AVA. That's really boomed. And if you can't grow grapes, you just put cattle on it. That's kind of the <laughs> the adage. But yeah, we uh, there's there's certain areas in the Yakima Valley where we can grow apples very well, and grow these specific kind of apples very well. I mean, it's it's the fruit. You know, this is where all the apples grow in the U.S. Basically, That's right. and and because we don't get much rain, we only get seven inches of rain a year. That also leads us to grow, be able to grow more organic fruit. We grow something like 95% of all the organic apples grown in the U.S., in the Yakima Valley and, and surrounding areas. And it's just because we can control every drop of water that the, those That's trees true. get. Right, because yeah. you don't have to worry about the flash flooding or the you know the heavy rains in September because you or, got the yeah. irrigation or fog, right? Or any, yeah, anything else? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what? When did you first make cider? Obviously, you're making wine in college, and I'm thinking that was either at Central or. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I went. I went to Eastern Washington. I'll, uh-huh. I'll put a plug out there for that Eastern Washington University. But um, we, uh, my father and I, started making cider as soon as we opened up uh, our winery. And and so, you know, we we I, I can't believe we grew apples for that long. I'm a fourth generation orchardist, and we have we really had no tradition in our family of making cider. We've had making beer and wine and that sort of thing. But were they cider apples from four generations ago? I mean, no. you have no. So that was basically no. commercial apples. right? They were commercial okay. apples. I mean, we made a that first batch was like a blend of galas and grannies and. What in Fuji's? I think you know. Whenever I'm at a sommelier experience, yeah. I'm always bringing up the galas and the Johnny Gold <laughs> and the Honey Crisp and the Pink Lady, and like, yeah. oh, you're getting that out of, out of that wine? Oh yeah, we're from Washington State. We know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we do the same thing. I mean, the same the same talk, the same speak. You, you, we talk about wines where there's notes of strawberry or raspberry or plum or leather or whatever you want to say about it. We, those are the same you know, verbiage that we use. And we have flavor wheels. Yeah, you descriptors. Know, we, we have flavor wheels in, in, the, in the cider industry, too. So, Titan, you are the cider maker. And how many uh, different expressions do you have with Titan? You know, right now, I off the top of my head, I think we have 14 different line extensions. And that's everything from a very dry... Uh, uh, eclectic style cider that's aged in barrel to fruit ciders to ice ciders. We do a, a pomo, which is kind of um, akin to a, a port style cider. Sure. So you're yeah. taking uh, eau de vie or apple brandy mm-hmm. and adding it to just regular grape juice, right? But, I'm sorry. Well, we don't <laughs> <Apple> use. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all yeah. the time. No, but yeah, we basically we have a brandy made for us. We bring it back, and then we we. Uh, Add it to a freshly fermenting uh, cider and fortify it. It gets up about 16% alcohol. We do something a little bit different. We'll actually age that in bourbon barrel 
and it gives it just oh, yeah, another. It just gives it another layer of complexity. Absolutely, really yeah. neat. Yeah. So, um, what's happening in October for Titan? Is there a big festival? Do you have a tasting room? Uh, obviously, a website TitanCiderWorks.com. Uh, a cider club. What's going on? Yeah, coming up in October, we have events that go all year long. This is this is a harvest season for us. So. So Come apples by and are, pick some apples. Yeah, <laughs> apples are on people's minds right now. So there's a lot of harvest festivals going on. We attend a lot of those, especially around the Yakima Valley. Uh, we do a lot of um, uh, fundraising for for local for local uh, charities. Uh, we do have a cider club. If you want to go to our site, TitanCiderWorks.com, you can buy cider there, or you can actually get on our cider club and get some of our exclusive ciders sent to you once a quarter. That's neat. You've yeah. got great penetration here in the uh, King County metro area. Um, some of the, uh, I'm just imagine Whole Foods and uh, PCC and, and some of those stores would have uh, Titan products? Yeah, if you go to Total Wine, PCC, Whole Foods, um, I think there's new seasons up in this oh, area Oh, new now. seasons, yeah, yeah. They're out there now. Um, Mercer yeah. Island and Ballard. Yeah, I think we, we're pretty well, uh, you can find us just just about anywhere. So what you know. vintage is this, or uh, appleage? What would you call it? I know vintage means, you know, vint, age, but yeah. uh, how many years have you now been the head maker for, uh, cider maker at Titan? Um, I think about nine years. Just like the, like that. <laughs> maybe since Cider Fest or Cider <laughs> Summit, huh? Yeah, it might, it might, that might have been our first our first year there, yeah. What are yeah. you excited about? You have some great plans. I know that uh, uh, Red Hook Brewery and Pyramid Brewery have innovation brewers now. Um, yeah. Are you an innovation cider maker? You know, I do a lot of that. You know, we, we have some very core items that we produce on a regular basis. And then uh, we do we have two different things. We have a uh, heirloom series, which is usually a single varietal. And then we have a uh, limited release series, which is... We we come out with Huckleberry and Bourbon Peach and wow. uh, and a few other ones. Horse pounder of time. I like that. Yeah, just exactly. in time for spring. Yeah. Hey, well, what a treat. I'm glad we uh, had some time. Sorry I missed you last time. I had a little something going on. Sure. But uh, TitansCiderWorks.com, Marks mm-hmm. Robert, the cider maker. Thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you very Radio. much. Thank awesome. You. Hey, folks, uh, stick around. Uh, we're going to talk about James Beard, the legendary food critic who uh, now uh, reigns supreme here in Washington and Seattle because we've got uh, a really cool event coming up. So stick around. We'll be right back on 570. KVI. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, hope you're having a great Saturday night. I am hungry, and uh, how ironic. We're talking about James Beard. I've got Brian Bleakey from, uh, the, well, from Varsity Communications, and Andrew Whiteside, who is the executive sous chef at the Fairmont Hotel. Brian, we've got a big event coming up. Let's talk about this James Beard uh, Foundation Taste America. Yeah, I think if your your regular listeners are probably have heard about this before, uh, we've, you've been fortunate to come on your show and talk about it before as well. But uh, James Beard Foundation's Taste America dinner is coming back to Seattle again uh, this year. 
Uh, they only do 10 of these dinners around the country. The foundation picks 10 cities that they feel are worthy of the names James, the James Beard Foundation. And 10 cities and 10 cities. Right? <laughs> Did I say 10 cities or 10 cities? There you go. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. I was referring to Ted Nugent, but you're referring to a homeless. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We're getting topical now. Okay. Uh, yeah, so they go to 10 cities around the country um, that they pick that they think are worthy of that name. Um, for, Seattle's been fortunate to be uh, chosen for the last five years. Uh, most of the cities rotate, um, so it's not it's usually a more rotating cast. The fact they've come to our city uh, year after year after year uh, is just a sign of their esteem for the culinary community that we have here and uh, the diversity of the range of chefs that we have here, that they can keep putting this dinner together with new chefs every year and not have to recycle any names. There's just quality, an really. endless bench of outstanding chefs that they really want to get a good look at. Right. And they also, uh, we got a lot of bling, right? We got uh, some super bling these last few years. I know my friends at Canlis. I put that James Beard medal on my neck. Like, wow. I mean, I just gives you tingles. Uh, but our friend Eduardo. Yeah, Eduardo Jordan, uh, who will be the all-star chef uh, at the dinner this year. Uh, he won two James Beard Awards this year, uh, which is, is not unprecedented, but uh, is definitely a, a huge accomplishment. Such a young man. Um, uh, both, uh, yeah, his restaurant, uh, June Baby, uh, was you know, best new restaurant, and he was best chef Northwest as well. So out of the tens of thousands of new restaurants that opened across the country this year. His was picked number one, so it's pretty exciting. What's so cool is that one of the most humble people I've met, I remember having a luncheon there, a wine luncheon, and I was blown away. And this is before he was like relatively new, but kind of the secret Seattle, hey, you got to go here. I got up, I said, I, this is some of the best food I've ever had. And like Maximilian Petty is one of those mm -hmm. cats, but he was just wide smile and gosh thanks and so approachable i mean we think about some of those chefs where it's wolfgang puck or emerald glassy or all those cats we we worry that we're not part of their their uh, cloud or their 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 level of uh, you know fame and yet this guy was just the, the the nicest man which i think speaks to seattle and in our community i hope still a little bit yeah absolutely uh, and i was just talking to andrew downstairs earlier actually because he was in the kitchen last year uh, we hosted this event um, helping participate, and he was talking about uh, just how great most of the chefs were, um, you know, coming in, and, and like you say, just the, the personalities that we have here, um, everyone really meshes well, and it's a very supportive community. We had our big kickoff event just last week and had a bunch of the chefs out to that. I know, we missed you, but, but uh, we had a bunch of the chefs out there, and it's just fun to see them, you know, immediately they see each other, and they're, they're connecting right away and bonding, and, and, you know, they all just really support each other here and it, it's, it's a fun climate to be a part of. It's interesting too because when I think about big cities I think that they have a late dining scene which we ne don't necessarily have on mass whereas mm -hmm. we go to New York it's like hey it's it's rolling until midnight no problem mm -hmm. um, but Seattle we have a little we have like at 10, 11 o'clock it's over and chefs get to go home most of the time. <laughs> 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 um, and let's talk to the chef. Hey Andrew uh, Whiteside you are uh, Whitside you are the uh, executive sous chef at the Fairmont um, Let's talk about your culinary career. When did you uh, have joy with your first knife? Uh, you know, my, my uh, culinary career started really young age. Uh, my mom was one of those single mothers, three boys, just... Hungry all the time, oh, yeah. I imagine. Just insatiable appetite. So it's uh, one of those things where, you know, coming home, I just wanted to learn to cook for myself. And, you know, don't tell my father. You know, he's one of those guys that would constantly burn the water. Oh, wow. So it's like, you know, how are we going to fend for ourselves? And... You know, growing up from Guelph, Ontario, it's kind of this eh, smallish, you know. You Canadians, eh? Yeah, you know, <laughs> we're out and about. Um, <laughs> you know, I had the opportunity now, This, I think this is my third country to work in, so to kind of go around and working in a plethora of different oh, places. Well, welcome. And, yeah. <laughs> um, from ranging from different restaurants to hotels and, you know, kind of having the ability to 
you know, at this point, work with so many different chefs and to tie into this event is fantastic. Which brother are you? Are you the middle brother? Uh, I'm actually the oldest brother. You are the yeah, oldest. So I see. I'm the smallest somehow. I don't know what happened with what's in milk these days, but you know, <laughs> I am the oldest yet the smallest. All right. And uh, so I remember my, my folks are physicians. Dad had to work late. Mom was going to, to dental school and I would get home. And um, But my culinary experience was either frozen pot pie, a 99 cent pizza, top ramen, or cereal. So I didn't get any experience until I got a job in a restaurant. Now I consider myself a fabulous cook that doesn't want to work in a kitchen except my own. You are now the executive sous chef for the Fairmont Hotel, and you've been in traveling in hotels. I mean, Fairmont, I, I understand that uh, we have a great relationship with employees around the world in the Fairmont organization, and a lot of people want to come to Seattle. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those opportunities within the hotel. If you'd like to go work somewhere else in the world, you know, they they help you make that move, and whether it's a city, you know, beautiful like Seattle, or if you want to go live on a beach for a couple of years and you know, <laughs> <laughs> experience different cuisines from all over the world, it's great to have that kind of organization that supports the growth from all aspects and you know allows you to travel and work. And you know, I mean, the possibilities are endless now that they just keep building new hotels. And now, as a food and beverage professional like myself, I know working 15 years as nonstop that it was always difficult to find a place and a time to go out and really enjoy ourselves in that fine dining experience. What's a restaurant time, a meal, unless it was a vacation? Heck, we would go, that's what we would do. We'd go on a gastronomy vacation, right? Let's go to Paris for a week and just, you know, have a great time or wherever. What's one of those experiences you had that really that enthralled you about food and beverage? Uh, I think from being back home in Ontario, we actually did one trip where a bunch of us cooks got together after, you know, a, a crazy weekend, and we had this craving for pizza. And being from Ontario, we said, you know what, let's hop in the car and we're driving to Chicago. So, <laughs> you know, 18 hours later, I think it took us, and we got down to Chicago, had this deep dish pizza, and it, I find those kind of experiences for us are, you know, the cornerstone, it's all about cravings, and what do you want to do, whether we're going out for ramen or pizza, and you know, it's great to experience these high-end dinners, but for us, it's more about the camaraderie and, you know, to tie in with this James Beard event at the hotel, it, it ties back to the, the grassroots of, you know, building relationships with other chefs and kind of bouncing ideas off each other and where are you going to go eat next and yeah, where are you going to cook? Yeah, in a very convivial and jovial and fun atmosphere where it's like you let your hair down, so to speak, if you had it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really fun. And I know that we can all do the, um, we think about the evolution of, of cuisine, especially in the Northwest. I think we had Nouvelle Cuisine back in the 80s and the California came up and then we had more Northwest style. Um, and then we're working with salsa fee and, and uh, fiddlehead ferns and sea beans and all this stuff and making you know different sauces and gastriques um that seems to be relatively commonplace now that that the the technical level of most chefs in seattle specifically there's all these restaurants now with the, with the boom these chefs have a, a higher level of, of comprehension about flavors and, and profiles and uh composition that is is more daring and um at the same time excitingly fresh is that you yeah, I, I mean, to play with different techniques. I mean, for myself over my career, you know, we've all had different ideas of food trends kind of come and go. And for myself, I think a cornerstone, especially, I mean, everybody's been talking about farm to table. And, you know, I think that kind of practice has become almost commonplace. And now it's kind of meeting the person behind the farm. And throughout my yeah. career and 
being in Jasper, you know, we we were luckily lucky enough to work with a organic farmer that worked with us solely, and we would give him our our oh, fry Jasper, oil. Wyoming, uh, Jasper up in uh, Alberta, oh. <laughs> yeah, back up in Canada. You know, we had a farmer that we would sit down at the beginning of the year, and he would kind of ask us what we wanted to grow, and he had some things that would grow really well out there, but he was also experimental. So for us to be experimental in the kitchen, and he was going to do it on his fields, we kind of built that bond. And it was all organic. They didn't have any machinery. They had a couple of horses. And we'd send some cooks up at the end of the year and go, hey, you know what? We're going to help you plow the fields. Wow. So That's for, neat. for our young culinarians kind of growing up, it's it's about that connection just to, like, the dirt and getting your hands dirty. And, you know, I feel a lot of guys now are getting back into that point. Instead of just buying a product, here it is, open the package and kind of cook it. You know, technique is technique, but creating that bond with a you know a produce farmer or cattle farmer with the land right? yeah i mean getting back to where the food actually comes from it's uh it's like the in wine we talk about terroir we're always about that vineyard and the vineyard on that's exactly what we talk about the winemakers like trying not to mess it up which in some cases like a chef don't overcook that beautiful piece or whatever it is but it's really about origin and i think it's with the wealth of information we can find in our pocket <laughs> on any different app these days uh, it's really refreshing and plus this niche, the, the availability of information has allowed new markets to exist where you can buy microgreens or you can go help like a truffle dog. We've got truffle dog uh, companies and classes here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, one of the things we need to do, though, is I guess, can we fish for salmon anymore? I'm concerned. I like salmon. I don't want to eat Atlantic salmon, but that's a big deal. I know we've got some chefs here, James Beard award-winning chefs mm-hmm. here who have taken a stand, perhaps. Uh, pretty exciting. So, Brian, you've got a whole list of chefs that we can talk about coming up in the next segment. Yeah, there's a whole, uh, a really exciting list of chefs that are going to be participating in this year's event, um, both in part of the reception before the dinner and the dinner itself, as well as a, a new dessert reception that's taking place after the dinner. And Fantastic. And some cooking demos the next day. So it's I like be exciting. that. So you could really get hands on, like we said, it's almost uh, it's a uh, table to chef, I guess, <laughs> or chef to table at that point. Uh, pretty fun. Uh, we're going to talk about the James Beard uh, Taste of Foundation Taste America, which is coming October 19th at the Fairmont Hotel in Seattle, and there's a cooking demonstration which is available on the 20th. So stick around, folks. Be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Regular guys separated by 20 years and a full head of hair. Mark Lee and Van Camp. Weekdays 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. And you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Somalier, Christopher Chan. All right. Hey, you can call me a gastronomy. Uh, I'm digging this James Beard. Uh, well, the whole program is fantastic. It recognizes the great chefs and restaurants, uh, uh, wine writers, uh, cookbooks, uh, media personalities that talk about the, the the world of food and, more importantly, the earth that's behind it and sustainability. Now, Brian, tell me that um, you said James Beard is really focusing on... Yeah, sustainability is a big part of their effort this year, um, and it has been, you know, for the last decade. But as more and more of the country is starting to catch on to the sustainable food lifestyle, <laughs> um, it's it's becoming more and more prominent uh, in in the messaging. So definitely, uh, 
they're really pushing that this year. One of the things they're doing is uh, in each city that they're going to, they're trying to locally source as much of the food for that dinner as possible. Um, in some cities, that's easier than others. Um, it might be a little harder in Louisville than it is in Seattle to get a diverse range of, of items. So, uh, so in Seattle, though, uh, almost all, if not all, uh, I, I don't want to guarantee that it's all because I don't want to get, get right, caught yeah. afterwards, but... Um, almost all of everything is being uh, locally sourced, whether it's meat, fish, vegetables, um, all of the beverages. Uh, Mary Hill is going to be pouring wine. Heritage is going to be um, putting cocktails out. So um, all of it is being locally sourced, uh, which it's really more even even more than just about the chefs themselves. It's about really is about the whole food scene here and how we how we grow our food and how we prepare our food. And, That's good, uh, and it's 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 cool to see the whole community being being involved like that in an event like this. And especially to convey that message to the, the consumers who are participating of great, it's always great to have great wine and, and spirits and, and food, of course, and camaraderie. But to know that there's a greater uh, message to be delivered here, like, hey, we need to take, you, if you like this a lot, we need to take care of this. And one of the things we have to understand is that with the growth of our of our metro area, some of our farmland, whether it's an Enumclaw or Carnation, is being pushed out. We're losing some of that because they want, developers want to come in and we're going to lose we're going to lose that local sourceability which is a huge concern i know our friends uh, um uh, kurt Demeyer of beechers is is a huge proponent of trying to sustain farmers we we have to look at these people I mean, we don't want you know these big con- uh, corporations coming in and owning our food sources although we want them to buy our food sources so we can sustain our our agriculture business here but we are losing the family farm close to Seattle. And so what that means is that truck has to go further, which means it's less local, it costs more, the, the, the roads are clogged. It's a huge issue. And I'm glad that James Beard Foundation is focusing on that because that is a very important part, farmers markets, et cetera. Um, Andrew, tell me about your restaurant program, of course, at the, the Fairmont. Uh, do you take pride in some of the local ingredients here? Is there uh, connections with relationships and with uh, farmers and purveyors? Yeah, we've partnered with a lot of different farmers. For example, we've got Scabland Farms that we partnered with uh, last year for the coach. What's the name of that one? Uh, Scabland Farms. It's, it, I mean, it's, they got these beautiful, large, black heritage pigs. Um, oh, that we, yeah. we ended up meeting them last year at the Koshan event. Koshan, man. And uh, we partnered with them again this year, and we were actually buying whole animals from them pretty much every month and building a charcuterie program and using the nose to tail. Um, however, also on the roof, last year we kind of played with some ideas of kind of growing a garden up there and it was kind of you know mickey mousy to a bit you know just kind of seeing what would grow and this year our engineering department was fantastic and actually built 13 raised bed gardens so we've got tomatoes chili peppers squash um squash uh edible flowers you know because we have the bees on the roof as well yes so it kind of creates this little ecosystem up there and as we are growing things I don't think people understand how much impact honeybees have. So we have flowers in certain boxes, and as the year progresses, we start seeing these little flowers pop up in other boxes for where the bees kind of touch and go back and forth. And, (laughs) you know, to talk about the dish for the the James Beard event, you know, a lot of the vegetables to go with the sustainability aspect, we didn't want to grow something on our roof and then end up having waste from it. So throughout the year, we started growing baby squash, and we started taking those that we're going to use on the event that we're fermenting, we're pickling. So it's great to have a rooftop garden, but we don't want to create more waste. So we're trying to find a way to use up everything so it's completely sustainable. And the soil on the roof in the gardens actually came from our green compost that we use at the hotel. So we're trying to create this nice planted initiative. 
Wow, that is a planet initiative. I like it. Um, Brian, tell me some of the chefs who will be participating. Yeah, I really want to just add on really quickly to what Andrew said, too. It's not just the food, actually, that is coming from their roof as well for the event, but Seattle Cider Company uh, is one of the sponsors of the event. It's going to be pouring cider there, and they one of the ciders they're pouring is made with honey from the bees on the Fairmont's roof. All right. So both the food and beverages coming from the roof of the Fairmont. So. We, yeah, man. Bees, no pollination. You know, we, we love that. Um, so more chefs. How many yep. chefs total will be participating October 19th and 20th? Oh, that's a good question. I want to say about a dozen, but I'd have to go through and add it up. Uh, it, it's an exciting list. So locally, uh, Eduardo Jordan is our local all-star. Um, he and Andrew and our visiting all-stars, uh, which are Stuart Brioza and Nicole Krasinski from State Bird Provisions in San oh, yeah. Francisco. Uh-huh. Uh, James Beard Award winners are going to be coming to town. Uh, the three of them will all be working together uh, to prepare the dinner courses um, and then we will have a reception uh, prior to that uh, featuring uh, let's see one two three five six other uh, outstanding chefs uh, Felipe Hernandez of Los, Los Hernandez tamales uh, and Union Gap a James Beard award oh, winner yes. this year yeah the tamale stand yep. guy he won a James Beard award Holy this year smokes. Um, so he's coming over to Seattle to bring his tamales over here since no one can it's hard for us to get over there to eat his tamales so he's gonna bring them and Serve them at the cocktail reception beforehand. Uh, Jay Blackington from Hogstone's Wood Oven. Uh, Graham Coburn uh, from Windstar Cruises is going to be there. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. I've been on Windstar. they got some great there you food. Go. He's their executive chef. Uh, Melissa Miranda of Musang. Uh, Shota Nakajima of oh, yeah. Adana. And Mutsuko Soma of Kamonegi. Right. Yep. We'll all be participating in the reception portion of the evening. And um, for those chefs, um, obviously... Well, for all of them, but uh, Felipe's won a James Beard Award. Um, for these other ones, it's a really exciting chance for them to kind of showcase their best work for the foundation. Um, as as I'm sure your listeners know, that you know the foundation is basically the Oscars of the food world. They give out their James Beard Awards, and when you win one, that designates you uh, for the rest of your career, basically as one of the top chefs in your field. Um, for these young chefs, when the foundation comes to town. You know, they, they pick out a few award winners like Eduardo, like Felipe, like uh, the, the couple from San Francisco. And they also try to identify some up-and-comers, some people who maybe they have their eye on or they've heard good things about. Um, maybe someone from the foundations come out here and, and tried something and said, hey, you guys, need to, you guys need to focus on this. And they try to bring those kind of chefs into the event and really give them an opportunity to, hey, show us what you've got. Put your best work out there and let's see what it is. And, and maybe you'll win down the road. You know, a few years ago, Renee Erickson was one of our reception chefs. At the time, she had not been recognized by the foundation yet. And then the following year, she won her James Beard Award. Um, so for these young chefs, it's a really big deal for them to come out here and, and showcase their best work for, you know, the, the top folks in their field. Taste America, October 19th at the Fairmont Hotel. And you have cooking classes, which is really fun. Um, how many people can attend? Uh, I know that you've got just a few tickets left, but it's almost sold out. Yep. How many people are attending? 200, 300? Uh, for the dinner itself? Yeah. Um, I think the room is, is about 300. Spanish ballroom. say is yeah. roughly... Right, that's about it. And um, for cooking classes now, where will these classes take place? Uh, those are going to be at Sir Latab in Kirkland. And okay. the exciting thing about that is, obviously, like you said, the dinner is almost sold out. It's an expensive ticket as well. I mean, you're, you're getting a lot of food. It's, it's, it's worth it. Um, these cooking demonstrations, though, are free. Um, which is cool, and it gives really? you a chance. Uh, the chefs are going to be there. Shota is going to be there doing a cooking demo. Shota Nakajima, uh, as well as our all-star chefs, uh, Stuart Brioza and Nicole Krasinski, will be there doing a cooking demo. Um, they're free, but obviously space is limited. Um, it is at Sir Latab. We can't fit a thousand people in there. Um, so, uh, so spend the night. <laughs> yeah, right. Spend the night and camp out. No, exactly. uh, you can reserve your space. No, uh, Kirkland has rules on that. Not like Seattle. <laughs> right. Now we're back to the tent cities. Oh, right. Uh, how you, you more information re- online? Yeah, so you can go to uh, jamesbeard.org backslash events. 
Uh, you can find the Taste America link there and navigate to Seattle. It's kind of a web of pages you have to go through. Um, you can also email Tony at varsitycommunications.com to get your name on that wait list. Uh, Tony, hey, man, hook me up. Tony's the guy. He'll, get <laughs> okay. you, he'll take care of you. So the, the James Beard Awards were announced uh, just in September? I think it was in the spring. Oh, was it a, that far? Gosh. The spring, yeah. Yeah, I'm... You're right. This summer went by. It was a beautiful summer. Right. And, you know, just staring at the sun, you just kind of blend in every day. You know, when we come back, I want to hear about Andrew's dish. I want to get some perspective on what he's preparing and, and some of the background and philosophy, because this is a big deal. Obviously, I believe this is your first James Beard Award event, right? I mean, you're you're, you're participating in this fashion with a, a, a menu item on your own for the first time. Is that right? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, good. So think about that philosophy question. Uh, we're going to take a little break, but it's uh, jamesbeard.org .org backslash events. Backslash events. And uh, the cooking classes at Sir La Table in Kirkland, uh, really fun place. Uh, obviously complimentary. They start at what, uh, 10 a.m. or noon? Noonish. Uh, the cooking classes start at 10 a.m. Yeah. 10 a.m. How about that? Look at that. I don't even have to read the press release. I can, uh, <laughs> I can <laughs> fake my way through it. Um, uh, Brian, what's the name of your dish that you're going to prepare? I'm sorry, uh, not Brian. Andrew. Uh, so the, the dish we're going to use is a. Uh, a we're going to use the Woodford, Woodford Reserve uh, bourbon, and we're actually going to cure the a foie gras torchon. Really? So it's going to have some fun little elements to it. So we're actually going to make it tapioca, ginger cracker, and then some other little accoutrements throughout the year. And then that's where the, the focal point to the roof comes in. So all our, our pickled, our fermented vegetables from the roof, some herbs, some flowers. It, you know, we're trying to utilize that rooftop feel. <laughs> yeah, well, you're like going to be the Space Needle, except they don't have any garden up there. Uh, pretty neat. I want to learn more about that dish. Hey, folks, we're talking about the jamesbeard.org Taste America. Uh, it's available uh, on their website on events. It's October 19th and 20th right here at the Fairmont in Seattle. Stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. He's live, he's local, he's all Northwest. Lars Larson, weekdays noon to 3, talk radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, that's me. Hey, welcome back to our fourth and final segment. Uh, speaking with Andrew Whiteside, who is the executive sous chef at the Fairmont, and Brian with Varsity Communications. Um, we didn't mention dessert about it. We've got the great James Beard Taste America dinner. We've got the cooking classes on Saturday at Sur La Tabla. But you didn't tell me about dessert. I know you got a reception. you got Heritage, Mary Hill, some great chefs. Who's cooking up something sweet? Yeah, for the first time this year, uh, instead of just having one dessert course be a part of the main dish, they wanted to recognize uh, some more of the great pastry chefs, dessert chefs um, in the area. So they're having a whole dessert reception uh, with three chefs. So Brittany Bartleben of Dahlia Bakery, mm. uh, Laura Piles of The Pantry. I'm thinking coconut cream pie. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. And uh, Artist Carlson's of the Fairmont Olympic, actually, oh. will be the three participating chefs. Excellent. So. I love that gingerbread house you guys put in that lobby. is is amazing. <laughs> I remember reading about that. That's really cool. Uh, well, so fun. So, Andrew, um, you said you were going to marinate a lobe of foie gras, a torchon of foie gras, which means you've actually cooked it already and, right? You're marinating it in bourbon. How does that work? Does, is there, I mean, I don't see like, can you marinate bacon fat in bourbon and it tastes bourbon? It seems like it's only be, explain it to me, Lucy. Uh, so I ended up make, coming up with this dish a couple of years ago and I keep coming back to it and playing with it. Um, to go to my love for charcuterie and going away from nitrites and nitrates that most people are, you know, put yeah, yeah. into it. Uh, Oscar you know, Meyer. <laughs> yeah, you, you coat the uh, the foie in bourbon overnight and just hit it with some orange zest, and it ends up infusing into the lobe just enough to kind of 
preserve the color, the flavor into it, mm. and it allows me to not use the nitrites. I see. So it, it's a preservation method. Got and it's, it. It soaks enough into it, but it's not going to be overly boozy. Right. Um, and then just cuss it, sorry, dust it with cocoa. My <laughs> yeah, tongue's running away from me. Uh, dust it with cocoa, and so you kind of got this like really? bitter, sweet, kind of fatty, kind of got all these flavors in wrapped inside once we we uh, poach it up. And you're using some honey from the rooftop as a, a, a glaze in some sort? or uh, We're going to be pickling some of the vegetables that go onto the plate and kind of have... It's a fun, interactive one, so you just kind of pick different flavors and pull together, and the foie is the centerpiece that kind of flavors and brings everything together. Is there a restaurant now at uh, the Fairmont? I know that the Georgian Room was uh, the grand place that you do a tea in there, I understand, but is there an outlet for, for, for food outside of the lounge? Uh, we've got Shuckers, which is our seafood restaurant. Perfect. Okay, uh, open yeah. Open lunch and dinner. My mom loves Shuckers. Hey, guys, so fun. Congratulations. Looking forward to it. It's great to have such um, publicity or exposure here for Seattle and for all the fantastic chefs. So I appreciate your time, and uh, bon chance with the event on October 19th. All right. Thank you, Christopher. Yeah, super cool. Hey, folks, it is October, which means we we need uh, you to get out there and have a good time, um, either crushing uh, or harvesting um Go to Woodenville. We've got so much time, uh, so, only so much time for harvest. And this is your chance to see how winemaking is really done here in the Northwest. You'll get a chance to taste some wine grapes, which, by the way, are sweet. So you'll be like, whoa, I remember the first time I took a wine grape. Like, oh, it's a Merlot grape. It doesn't taste like Merlot. No, dummy. It's sweet. It's going to ferment and make alcohol and then have all the flavor. Um, and you guys said Mary Hill Winery is going to be part of your event. How many wines will they be showing at the, at the James Beard event? I know for sure they're pouring their prisoner wine, uh, the prisoner wine label. Prisoner? Uh, prisoner is, is, yeah. That's Mary Hill? Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. It's we'll edit this part yeah. out. <laughs> uh, uh, so not, Mary Hill is Northwest. Yes, Mary, Hill, Mary Hill absolutely will be uh, participating and uh, pouring their wines the event. Yeah, the yes. prisoner is Orange Swift. Yes, thank you. You're wines. correct. You're and, correct. Uh, thank you. I remember only because I tried to trademark the criminal wines. Okay. And he just beat me by two Well, months. we will have both the Prisoner and Mary Hill Wine pouring their wine. Okay, so you do have yep. a, a national uh, sponsor. Yep. Uh, very cool. And Heritage Distilling. Absolutely. Um, they've got some, I mean, they've just exploded. Uh, now, interesting, using Woodford, which is really good, but I think, you know, they got a brown sugar bourbon, man. Maybe you should try that next time. Good. <laughs> He's taking notes, taking ideas. Um, and again, so tickets are available at jamesbeard.org slash events. You'll find it on there. And what do tickets cost for the, for the dinner? I know you said pricey, but this is a $500 event? Three fifty. Do I get three fifty? Looking for three fifty. Fifty wants to look for four hundred. Need four hundred. This year it was a three hundred dollars. Three hundred dollars. Yes. Yeah. I had to make sure I. I had to think about that one for a minute before I gave you a wrong number. But. I know, but the tickets really went fast, which they is did. great. They and always then, do. Yep. And then um, uh, it's really cool that you're actually sponsoring these free cooking classes at Sur La Tabla. Yeah, that's the exciting part. I mean, for people who can't afford a ticket or you know are just finding out about it now and are getting you know and are too late to get into the event, but want to participate, want to enjoy some of the food, want to meet some of these chefs. Uh, be sure and, ch- and check out the website and make a reservation to... Oh, so they can take reservations so you yep, have a so place. you can book your spot. Yep, that either, makes sense. Either jamesbeard.org backslash events or tony at varsitycommunications.com. Is it an hour class or is it uh, is it on the hour per se or is it an hour and a half? There's like... one at 10 and one at noon. Okay, so there's two classes. Yep, and one... of course you get to try the food. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and hope, any wine over there? Who knows? Yes. Oh, some of our sponsors that? there. Yep, definitely some of our sponsors will be there. All right. Well, that uh, sounds like shows, a so. perfect afternoon in Kirkland. Hey, folks, hope you enjoyed the show. We talked to Marcus Robert, the uh, cider maker for Tyatt Insider. We've got uh, executive sous chef of the Fairmont, Andrew Whiteside, and, of course, my pal Brian with Varsity Communications. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you ever missed one, it's happyhourradio.net. And remember, when you're heading out to these events, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers! Thank you.